Could Anton Watson lead this team in scoring? And could the Big East be Gonzaga's future conference? That and more on today's So Bold, They're Scary Halloween Bold Predictions on the Locked On Zags podcast. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. going on y'all welcome to the locked on zags podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day i'm your host and longtime gonzaga podcaster andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things zag athletics today's episode of locked on zags is brought to you by game time folks download the game time app create an account and use that promo code locked on college and you'll get 20 dollars off your first purchase happy halloween folks to those of you who celebrate it is october 31st as many of you are listening to this, and I thought it was the perfect time to do our bold predictions for this season. Scary bold predictions is what we're rolling with today. For those of you who have been longtime listeners, I uh, appreciate you. Thank you so much for making the show your first listen of the day. You might recall that we do bold predictions before every season. Typically, I just do three different bold predictions, one per segment. Last year, one of my three bold predictions came true. Typically, I'm shooting for I don't want to say I'm shooting to get them wrong. That's not exactly what I mean, but I I want them to be exceptionally bold, over the top bold with explanation as to why. One of my projections last year was that Julian Strother would be the first Zag in eight years to hit 40 points in a game. He managed to do so on the road against the Portland Pilots. I happened to be at that game. Very cool experience to see that. My other prediction was that Braden Huff would play more minutes than Ben Gregg. That obviously did not happen. And then I think my final prediction was Hunter Salas getting to be a first-round pick. Maybe I was just a year early on the Hunter Salas projection, but the point is, Some of these might end up coming true or at least looking good at the end of the year. Some of these may not look good at all, but I'm going to try to explain what my rationale is. I would love to hear your bold predictions as well. Drop them in the comments. Drop them in the show notes. Uh, Reach out to me on Twitter. Join the Discord channel. We're up over 175 people. We gained close to 50 people. In a, just on Monday as we were able to show some of the results of that Baylor secret scrimmage. So definitely join the Discord channel if you have not done so yet. There's a link in the show notes. You can click that. It's free. You'll be in there with us all season long. All right. Enough preamble. Let's get into these bold predictions. Number one, Anton Watson leads the Zags in scoring, and he's an All-American. Like I said, so bold it's scary. Let's get out of the way right now. Bold, bold prediction here. I don't think Anton Watson leading the team in scoring is a particularly bold prediction, but doing so while also making an All-American team is certainly at the high end of expectations for Anton Watson. Watson is a player we have not done yet in our player preview series. We will get to him either this week or next week as we wrap those up before the first game of the season against Yale. Uh, Watson is a guy who at his high end can be that type of scorer, that type of player where he ends up in that All-American conversation. In terms of why this might happen, Watson's scoring has improved every single year he has been at Gonzaga. 4.9 as a freshman, 6.9 as a sophomore, 7.3 as a junior, 11.1 last year as a senior, continued to take on a bigger role offensively year over year. Now this team doesn't have Drew Timmy. Sure, they have Graham E.K. Sure, we'll see more from Ben Gregg. Braden Huff could emerge as a, a player who, who takes some minutes in the front court as well. But no Drew Timmy means more touches for Anton Watson. There is no other way to look at that. And for Anton Watson, he will have more touches on the block because Drew Timmy is gone. 
He will continue to be hyper-efficient. He was 66.7% on two-pointers last year, 65% for his career. So Watson has continued to be an elite, efficient, low-post scorer who is now going to get more touches. He also has a better facilitating point guard on his roster. With no disrespect to Nolan Hickman, we will get to him momentarily. Ryan Nemhard's ability to get Anton Watson the ball in positions to score to run a two-man pick-and-roll game with Anton Watson. The ability of these two players to do that should create even more scoring opportunities for Watson, whether right at the rim, whether it's little floaters or little jump shots from eight feet out on a driving dish from Nemhard, whatever it may be. There are going to be a lot of opportunities for Anton Watson to score the basketball. I don't expect Graham E.K. to play as many minutes as Drew Timmy. That leaves some more open minutes for Ben Gregg to take. I think Watson's still going to play a big role, but I think he's going to be asked to do more offensively. Then there's the outside shooting element of this as well. Just like Watson's scoring progression, his outside shooting progression has gone similarly. It is a smaller scale jump, mind you, but it has happened. Freshman, he shot 11% from three. Sophomore year, he shot 15% from three. Junior year, he shot 22.7% from three. Last year, he shot 33% from three. One way to look at this is he's been a bad three-point shooter for pretty much his entire career, and last year was the first time he was slightly better than bad. But he is improving. He is improving. He's also improved his number of attempts every year as well. Nine as a freshman, 20 as a sophomore, 22 as a junior, 48 last year. Watson made more threes last year, 16 of them, than he did in his first three years combined, which was nine. Anton Watson was a more prolific three-point shooter, a higher volume three-point shooter last year by a considerable amount than he had been previously in his career. I don't think Watson's going to come out and shoot 45% from three and lead this team in three-pointers and be this like locked down, completely just unbelievable three-point shooter. It's not the prediction I'm making. There's bold and then there is nuclear bold, and we're not quite there yet. But Watson continuing to improve as a three-point shooter. Watson making 33s this year on 37% shooting. Does not feel outside the realm of possibilities. In fact, it looks like a pretty natural progression based on how his career has gone up to this point. So now we're looking at an Anton Watson that will get more touches on the block that has been an efficient low post scorer throughout his career, that has a better facilitating point guard on the roster in Ryan Nempard than he had last year, and who has steadily improved his three-point shot. You put all of those pieces together, and I don't think it's crazy to look at Anton Watson as a potential 16, 17, maybe even 18-point-per-game guy for the Zags this year. Whether he leads the team is part of the equation here that's going to be tricky. There's three guys that I think have really reasonable arguments to beat Gonzaga's leading scorer this year. Ryan Nembhard, Graham E.K., and Anton Watson. I think those are probably your top three. Steele and Nolan Hickman probably round out the top five. Ben will be in that conversation as well. But to me, any given night, Ryan, Graham, or Anton could be Gonzaga's leading scorer. There will be nights when it's Steele. There might even be nights when it's Nolan as well. Again, we will get to that. But at the end of the year... I wouldn't be surprised if E.K., Nemhard, and Watson are all within something like two points of each other. They're all between 13 and a half and 17 points per game, so three, four points away from each other. That, to me, feels very reasonable. This is going to be one of the more balanced Gonzaga scoring teams we've seen in a while because of Drew Timmy's departure. Watson being slightly above those two guys 
doesn't strike me as crazy. Now, Watson making an All-American team might be a little bit more bold. I think that's reasonable of a take, but Watson is playing a position that that four, maybe three hybrid. I think he's going to spend most of his minutes at the small ball four, but that's not the deepest position in college basketball center where you have Zach Eady and Ryan Kalkbrenner and Hunter Dickinson and Armando Baycott and all these guys. That's a really tough position. Point guard is a tough position. I understand that the All-Americans are not dictated by position anymore. And that may be enough to to make this prediction difficult. They'll just put 10 centers on the three All-American teams and they don't care. And if that's the case, yeah, that's probably a little bit harder of a path for Watson. But Watson could be one of the best forwards in the country fairly, I don't want to say easily, but it's not crazy to imagine that could happen. And if Gonzaga is a top 10 team in the country and Anton Watson leads this team in scoring and he's one of the best forwards in the country, him getting a third team All-American nod, doesn't feel that crazy to me right now. We'll see how we feel in March when we when we relook back at these bold predictions at that time. So Watson being an All-American, yeah, maybe that's a little bored, but what about one of Gonzaga's less heralded scorers dropping 30 in a game this year? What about him doing it more than once? We're going to talk about that coming up after a word from today's sponsor, Game Time. Folks, college basketball is here. We are less than one week away. And for those of you who are starting to look at your schedule and going, oh, I should find a chance to get out to Portland or Seattle or Spokane or wherever to go see a game, you have to use Game Time. Because right now, I know that Game Time is going to have the tickets that I need at a price that I can afford. And I'm going to be able to see what the view looks like from my seat right in the app. Game Time is the fastest and easiest way to buy tickets for any event you're looking for. Whether it's a college basketball game, whether it's a football game, a comedy show, a music show, a concert, a theater performance, whatever it may be, they've got it. And in addition to that view from your seat feature, I also really like the lowest price guarantee and event cancellation protection. It makes me feel super comfortable to go ahead and buy tickets to whatever event I'm looking for. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Right now, download the Game Time app, create an account, and use that promo code Locked On College, and you will get twenty dollars off your first purchase. Again, create an account, redeem code Locked On College for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. Folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen or your first watch of the day. Shout out to those everyday listeners. Shout out to those of you checking out the show on YouTube. And again, shout out to those new users joining us on the Discord channel. Very excited to get going with our game threads every single game as we talk throughout this Gonzaga basketball season. Bold prediction number one was about Anton Watson leading this team in scoring and potentially being an All-American. That wasn't bold enough for you. We're going down to another prediction similar to the one I made last year about Julian Strother drawing 40 in a game. Instead, we're switching over to talk about Nolan Hickman. Bold prediction number two, Nolan Hickman drops 30 points in a game twice this year. Why not? Why not double it up a little bit? Nolan Hickman getting one 30-burger, that would be surprising. That would be a bold prediction to get correct. But Nolan Hickman doing 30 per game twice, now we're talking. Nolan Hickman's career high is 20 points per game. He got it last year at Santa Clara. Really important game for Hickman last year. Played really well down the stretch. Was the big reason that Gonzaga didn't drop that game on the road to the Broncos. In his two-year career, Hickman has dropped 15 or more points just four times. One of them, of course, that game against Santa Clara. He had 16 once. He's had 15 twice. That is his career high. So getting up to 30 and doing it twice is certainly a jump from his sophomore year to his junior year. But that's a jump I expect Nolan Hickman to take. 
Hickman's transition to an off-ball role is one of, if not the most notable storyline entering the season for Gonzaga. Of course, no Drew Timmy, how is Grant EK's health, how does Nemhart adjust? There's a lot of different stories for Gonzaga. Their bench is basically all freshmen outside of Ben Gregg. Like, there's a lot of stories for Gonzaga. But Nolan Hickman going from off the ball as a freshman playing alongside Andrew Nembhard to being the starting point guard for the team last year to kind of losing that role as the season went on. Hunter Salas played more minutes at the point guard. They kind of just let Drew Timmy bring the ball up at points to now transitioning back to being a full-time combo guard. That's a unique progression. And how Hickman responds to that is critical because Gonzaga's guard depth is not huge. They don't have a ton of it. Nolan Hickman is the starting shooting guard, and he is the backup point guard. Every minute that Ryan Nemhart is not on the floor, I expect Nolan Hickman to be the point guard. Maybe Luka Krinovich sneaks, sneaks in there for some minutes. Maybe Dusty Stromer sneaks in there for some minutes. But for the most part, Nolan Hickman is the starting shooting guard and the backup point guard. But I expect Ryan Nemhart to play a whole bunch of minutes this year, which means that Nolan Hickman is going to spend a lot of time off the ball. And I think it's going to make him a significantly more efficient scorer. As a freshman, Hickman was just under 61% on two-pointers in that off-ball role, playing alongside Andrew Nembhard. He had some minutes as the point guard, but by and large, Nolan Hickman as a freshman was a combo guard. Last year, when playing in an actual point guard role, that two-point percentage dropped a bunch, under 50%, a 10% drop from his freshman year to his sophomore year. Can that all be attributed to a slight position change? No, of course not. But is it possible that in a secondary creator role where he's not feeling the pressure to bring the ball up the floor to deal with opposing teams pressure, like right at the half court, the way that point guards typically do to getting the team in an offense to figuring out how to make sure you force feed the ball to Drew Timmy to running the pick and roll, having all of that stuff off your plate and being more of a catch and shoot scorer, a catch the ball, drive to the basket, try to make things happen. Like that's what I mean. Kind of when I say secondary creator, like get the, if the ball gets out of an Emhart's hands, you go and make something happen. Hickman struggled making things happen last year in a different role where he's not expected to do that every single time down. I think you see him thrive. Nolan Hickman as a catch and shoot three point shooter could be very, very, very good. He was a 35 and percent three point shooter last year, but when he gets going, he gets going four or five from deep versus Santa Clara, five of six from deep versus Chicago state. One of his 15 point games, Four of seven versus Xavier, three of four versus North Alabama, four of five versus St. Mary's in the WCC tournament. He was cooking just like everybody on that Gonzaga team was during that phenomenal WCC championship game last year over St. Mary's. Nolan Hickman can light it up. And we didn't see it a lot last year. And we saw the downsides. We saw the lows. He can go through pretty rough cold stretches. It's happened two years in a row towards the end of the season uh, with that WCC championship game being a, a notable exception for Nolan Hickman. Other than that, his performances in March have been have left something to be desired. But we have seen when Nolan Hickman catches fire, and we have seen him have more success in an off-ball role than we did on the ball. It's a projection to say that he will do better. It's not a guarantee. Certainly adjusting to, to not being a point guard could be a challenge for Hickman. If that were to happen, we talked about this on a recent episode, the best and worst case scenarios for Nolan Hickman. There's a reality where he loses playing time because he's not adjusting well. He needs to be a point guard and Ryan's taken up most of the point guard minutes. I don't expect that to be the reality. I'm just saying that it is one. But there's also a reality where he catches fire 
where he shoots 39-40% from three for the season, where a couple games a year, he is just money from the get-go. He hits three threes before the first media timeout. And you're, man, no, no one's going to go for 20 tonight. And then there's 10 minutes left in the second half, and you realize he's got 24. And the Zags are up 15, but Marfu's letting him stay out there. And all of a sudden, you're like, hey, he's only a couple shots away. He might get there. I foresee that happening, and I wouldn't be shocked if it happened twice. I'd be happy because it's always cool to get these predictions correct. But to me, Nolan Hickman in this role, less pressure to pass the ball, less pressure to get the offense going, less pressure to run those pick and rolls, I think creates a situation where, again, not every game, but more consistently is he an offensive threat? Is he a catch and shoot player, secondary creator, driver to the basket, those kinds of things. And on a couple nights next year, wouldn't surprise me to see him go off, drop 28, drop 30, get into that 30-point conversation and be somebody who, who really kind of changes the narrative that has been built around him for the last couple of years. He's getting the Josh Perkins treatment, folks. You all know what I'm talking about. I've been following this team for longer than 10 years or so. Uh, and, and I think that there's a real opportunity, not just in a couple 30-point games, but a real opportunity throughout the season for Nolan Hickman to change that narrative and kind of remind people why he was a five-star prospect, a top 15 caliber kid in his class. And I think we're going to see a lot of those glimpses from him this year. We're going to close out today's show with my final bold prediction. We're talking about the Big East Conference, folks, their future, Gonzaga's future. What does it look like? All that coming up after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Folks, score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any $5 winning money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time than right now to get in on the action. This app is super easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, including player props, over-unders, and more. And right now, if you're feeling spicy, the Zags, 800 to 1 odds to make the final four, not even the national championship, just the final four. If you want to throw 25 bucks on the Zags to be back in the final four, that's 200 bucks back in your pocket in late March. Folks, Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn now and kick off that season. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. All right, folks, rounding out today's show with my third and final bold prediction of the upcoming season. We talked about Anton Watson leading his team in scoring and potentially being an All-American. We talked about Nolan Hickman having a pair of 30 burgers this upcoming season, despite his career high being 20 in that Santa Clara game last year. Now we're going to move on to conference realignment, closing out the show with one of, one of the biggest storylines in all of sports right now, certainly in all of college sports and certainly in all of Gonzaga sports. Conference realignment has been a consistent talking point for years surrounding the Gonzaga Bulldogs. And my bold prediction is not about the Big 12. It's about the Big East. Bold prediction is that the Big East finally extends an invitation to Gonzaga. I'm not intentionally putting a date on it. I assume by the time I do these bold predictions next year, if this has not happened, we will consider it a fail. So I guess within the next year, the Big East extends an invitation to Gonzaga. This is a bold prediction. Right now, it does not look like that is super likely, but these things change on a minute-by-minute basis. Here's why I think this could happen. The Big East is going to begin negotiating a new media rights deal soon, probably this winter. Their deal does not expire till 2025, which is part of the reason there isn't a ton of urgency right now for the Big East Conference. In fact, Val, Al Val Ackerman, excuse me, the commissioner 
of the Big East recently said they voted. They're staying at 11. They did not plan to make any changes right now. They were making sure they kept UConn. UConn was obviously in those Big 12 conversations alongside Gonzaga, but they're good at 11. But they're going to negotiate a new media rights deal. Fox and CBS are going to be involved. And Gonzaga makes that deal better. There is no debate about this. None. None at all. If FS1 knows that they get 15 Gonzaga basketball games in that package, they're going to offer the Big East more money. This is a a definitive fact that this would happen in this situation. Whether that causes the Big East to actually invite Gonzaga, make that move preemptively strike, there's a lot of other things that are certainly not facts that certainly would need to come together for this to happen. Chief among them, the Big 12 is also interested in Gonzaga. That is not smoke and mirrors. There is interest there. The problem is that the interest from the Big 12 is not consistent across the entire leadership group. Brett Yormark loves Gonzaga. He has not hidden that one tiny bit. He loves Gonzaga. He loves college basketball. He wants to turn the Big 12 into a coast-to-coast, all four time zones, college basketball powerhouse. For him to do that, Gonzaga is paramount. They are a key addition to make. Same with UConn. It's why he was looking at both of them. But then he had the opportunity to land those four corner schools, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah. And he took that advantage and he took that opportunity as he absolutely should have. But in that situation, it created a lack of urgency for the Big 12 to continue to make more moves. Your mark wants to continue to make moves. Many of the schools in the conference are like, let's see what we have. Let's pump the brakes. Let's figure out financially what this looks like. I mean, they're already just getting into a new year with Houston and Cincinnati and UCF and BYU. And then next year, they got four more schools coming in. I mean, this is a huge amount of change. Next year is the first year without Texas and Oklahoma. There's a ton of transitioning happening in the Big 12 right now. And certain programs are saying, we don't want to mess with Gonzaga right now. And part of the argument, and they haven't directly said this, but the implication is we don't need to make that move right now. There's no urgency on our end to add Gonzaga to the Big 12 Conference. And they might be right. But if the Big East starts realizing, hey, we can get a couple more million dollars per institution if we add Gonzaga. When they start to put that together, when those figures start making sense, when those negotiations start happening, does the Big East turn around and say, well, hey, maybe this does make sense. At that point, they then have to convince Gonzaga, hey, you shouldn't wait for the Big 12. Join us. And that's where the conversation is going to get really interesting. Because I'm not going to be surprised if everything else that I kind of laid out there does happen. If the Big 12 decides to push this to another year, because West Virginia doesn't want Gonzaga, because BYU doesn't want Gonzaga, because whoever is just not feeling it. And they say, okay, fine, we'll push this, we'll renegotiate next summer. And then the Big East starts their negotiations and realizes, hey, Gonzaga is going to add value. They're going to add money. And yes, they're going to put some extra pressure on our teams to travel a couple times a year. And certainly they're going to have to travel a lot. And we have to figure out whether it makes sense to take baseball and women's basketball and the soccers and all that stuff. But they're going to figure out that they can make more money institution by institution from their new media rights deal if Gonzaga is involved in it. I have no doubt that that will eventually happen for Big East leadership. And at that point, can they convince Gonzaga to prioritize jumping to the Big East over the Big 12? Because what Gonzaga should do in that moment, what should happen, 
is they should kind of start rubbing their hands together and going, great, we got a bidding war. Because the Big 12 still wants us, at least some of them do. And now the Big East wants us, and we should figure out what is going to make the most sense for us. Because the Big 12 has a lot more money, but how much of that money are they willing to give to a program that doesn't have football? Is it more than the Big East? Probably. How much more? And does it, is it make sense to go into a conference where your sport plays second fiddle? That's a really tough part of this conversation for Thane McCullough, the president at Gonzaga, for Chris Standiford, the AD, for Mark Few, for everybody to figure out, do you want to go into a conference where football is king? Because it shouldn't matter in theory. Being in a power conference is still vital. It's still valuable, especially the, with the impending threats of some potential breakoffs between the NCAA and the power conferences. Like getting in that spot gives you security in a way that you do not have in the WCC. But you get that same security in the Big East. Folks, the Big East is not going anywhere. It is not going anywhere. Is it as safe as the Big 12? No, but both of them are very, very safe right now. And if you join the Big East, you know that your needs are at the forefront. Your needs as a basketball program matter more than they matter in the Big 12. Again, the travel is worse in the Big East. The overall financial piece of the pie may not be much better. It may be worse. It's probably comparable, to be perfectly honest. But the Big East makes more sense institutionally. It makes more sense in terms of feeling valued within the conference. It makes more sense long-term. The fit just makes more sense. It just does. Yes, the closest team in the conference would be Creighton. And yes, that is crazy to think about as they're located in Omaha, Nebraska. Perhaps the Big East could expand a little bit more. I don't think St. Mary's is quite on their radar yet, but maybe even somebody like Dayton or St. Louis out of the A-10 Maybe those programs move the needle a little bit for Gonzaga to say, well, they're kind of, you know, they're not as far, at least. You know, I don't think Santa Clara, San Francisco quite sneak into that conversation yet, but maybe there is the potential for a future move where the Big East and some WCC schools do some kind of merger. Again, that's not exactly part of the projection that I'm making here. Just stating that I think the Big East makes a lot of sense for Gonzaga. I think they're going to start seeing that as they do more of their research, as they look more into these media rights negotiations, as they see the value that Gonzaga has from a TV revenue. We know their TV power number was fifth among all college basketball programs. We know that for a fact. We know that the schools in front of them were the bluest of blue bloods that possibly exist. It was Duke, it was Carolina, it was Kentucky, it was Kansas. And then it was Gonzaga. That's bigger than every Big East school. More TV power than Marquette, than Georgetown, than Villanova. St. John's, we'll see how that goes this year with Rick Pitino taking over over there, but you get the picture. Gonzaga drives TV revenue in ways that other Big East schools don't. They should want this. Whether they can convince Gonzaga to want it more than the Big 12, that remains to be seen. But in this bold prediction, I'm saying that within a year, the Big East actually extends that invitation to Gonzaga. I did not say whether I thought Gonzaga would take it, but within a year, they're going to get that invitation. And personally, I hope they do. Obviously, we'll have to see what the factors are. If the Big 12 has a more compelling offer and it's immediately acceptable, sure, maybe you take that. If the Big 12 still wringing their hands, if they still don't quite got that 75% approval that they need, I'm going Big East 
every single day, and I am happy about it. I know there's travel concerns, but man, what an opportunity that would be for Gonzaga. That's going to wrap us up for today. Happy Halloween again to those of you out there. Hopefully you got a chance to pass out some candy, to eat some candy, to party, whatever it is that you want to do on Halloween. Watch Hocus Pocus at home. Plenty of fantastic options out there. I hope you have a great chance to enjoy those. We'll be back uh, in November, continuing our player preview series. We still got Anton Watson. We got Luka Krinovich, June Sakyo, a handful of other players to still discuss as we get closer to that November 10th season opener. And at the end of this week, we're going to preview Lewis Clark State. We're going to talk real Gonzaga basketball, folks. We are just right around the corner until we get that opportunity to do so. Stick with us here on Locked on Zags. Thank you so much for making the show your first listen of the day. Appreciate each and every one of you. And until next time, as always, go. Zags.